Um, good evening, all of you. Um, my name is not David Cooper, so I'm explaining to you why I appear as David Cooper. I am sitting in the home of uh, David and Tova Cooper in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, I came here earlier today uh, to participate in a family simcha, and uh, I've been very uh, blessed by having the opportunity to uh, be with them and to use uh, David's uh, laptop. Um, so I want to thank them very much for their hospitality. Uh, I want to thank Ruth for being with me all the way through. This is not the first time. This is more than once. And uh, in particular, to thank Mishpach and Hartstein for sponsoring my uh, my talk this evening. And I'm extremely grateful to you. And we should share smachot, uh, please God, for a long, long time. Um, I want to thank uh, Faye Landis and the... Uh, heads and members of the adult ed uh, committee at uh, RENOT for everything that they do and uh, want to uh, begin Bershus, our Marda Asra, uh, Rabbi Strachler, whose uh, presence honors me and all of us uh, this evening. Um, and uh, I also see uh, Rabbi Wiener, who joins us and very uh, touched and grateful for both of you uh, to be here in uh, memory of my of my father, Zechronel of Racha. Rav Tzvi Ben Pinchas Miriam. I want to thank my daughter Leah, Dr. Leah Knapp, for providing the title for the talk this evening. I had a conversation with her a while ago, and I wasn't sure. I did want to speak about something. I wasn't sure what uh, the theme would be, and one thing led to another, and she suggested this um, title, and so I'm grateful to her. Um, I think that uh, reflecting on my father's passing and uh, on my father's life, um, I think it's uh, clear that this mantra was something that was very central to him. Uh, he was an activist for his entire life. Uh, he did a lot. Uh, he never sat on the sideline, but he threw himself in and uh, did what needed to be done. Uh, what needed to be done when he was younger was to be a leader at Yeshiva College and uh, Yeshiva University and Yeshiva Shabbat Yisrael uh, primarily and most significantly uh, when you see something, you do something. He saw that uh, America was going to war and he saw what was going on to his family members and other Jews in Europe. Obviously, I had no idea of the extent, but he knew about it. And I shared with you in the past this extraordinary letter that he wrote to his uh, parents explaining why he wanted to volunteer to be a chaplain in the army in spite of the fact that they were absolutely and unalterably opposed to that. He was the youngest of their 10 children, and um, he already had a job as a rabbi in Stanford, Connecticut. And uh, his father and mother did not want him to be put in harm's way and to endanger uh, himself. And God knows what would happen to him overseas. Uh, but he insisted on going because if you see something, uh, you have to do something. And that's what he did uh, his entire life, whether it was uh, Hungarian Jewry or Soviet Jewry or, or Israel uh, or uh, the Bronx. Uh, he was uh, someone who uh, acted in very uh, decisive ways and um, made a big difference. 
and that had uh, an impact on on me and on on my sister and on our entire uh, families uh, to uh, try to not stand by but to uh, do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. And uh, so this is the theme. And what I would like to do in the time that we have is to share with you, I want to share a number of examples of this uh, idea from the events leading up to and uh, culminating in Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, and then uh, begin to step back a little bit and, and focus on it in a larger way. So I'm going to start with the very beginning of Sefer Shmos. Uh, please make sure that you do have access to the uh, handout. As you know, I uh, don't speak to you, but I learn together with you. And um, I would uh, love for you to somehow have access. Uh, thank you, Ruth, for putting this uh, onto the chat and uh, have access to my my sheets. I actually, I also do want to apologize. My initial uh, expectation was that this would be a live presentation in Rinat, in our shul, together with Zoom. But because Baruch Hashem, I have a family simcha, so I left uh, Tinek today, and it is only on Zoom. Any of you who had who went to shul uh, looking looking for me, I, I apologize, uh, and hopefully uh, you'll get back in time to be able to uh, catch this on on Zoom. So the uh, Torah tells us So Paro wanted to destroy the Jewish people. He tells the midwives that. Uh, they have to act in a way that will ensure the destruction of the Jewish people, but they refused to listen to what it is that Paro mandated. Translation is they kept alive. They gave chios, they gave life to the children. Instead of killing them, the opposite, uh, they gave them life. And uh, Rashi points out here, and this is my first example, if you see something, you do something, what does it mean they gave them life? It's not just that there was an absence, so they didn't destroy them. They give they gave them life by not destroying them. But says Rashi, not just they didn't hurt them or they didn't kill them, but they actually sustained them. They provided mayim and mazon. They provided water and uh, sustenance for them. They actually proactively sustained them, nourished them, fed them. They did something. It wasn't just the absence of uh, of not doing anything negative, but it was actually very, very positive. Uh, it's based on a, on a Gemara in Soto, Yod Aleph Amid Beis, below on the first page. It wasn't enough, Shalom. It's not enough only that they didn't kill these babies. They actually proactively did something in order to help them. The top of page two, there's a medrash here that really gives us a much stronger sense, a much more powerful sense about how far these midwives went. Says the Medrash, Vatachayena Sayyulad in Papa page two. Bihime Achar Shalo Asukasher Dibra Lehem, Ain Anu Yodim Shekimu Sayyuladim. If it's Velo Asukasher Dibra Lehem Melech Mitzrayim, 
if they didn't do what the king of Egypt wanted, then obviously, obviously, obviously they let them live. If they didn't do the opposite of letting them live, then obviously they allowed them to live. So the Medrash points out that obviously it's more than just the absence of the destruction, because that's obvious, that's assumed. The Torah already says that they didn't do what the uh, king of Mitzrayim wanted them to do. So the Medrash continues, and the Medrash really plays this up and lays this out and gives a number of interesting examples. V'yesh kilos besoch kilos. This is a praise on top of a praise. Lo dayan, it's not enough, shalo kimo es that they didn't listen to what the king of Egypt wanted. Elaod hosifu lasso simoim tovos. But they actually proactively did all kinds of wonderful things. Yesh mehen, for example, yesh mehen shahayu anios, v'holchos hamiyaldos umagbos maimu mazon mibateem shalashiros uboz venos nos la anios. There were in some cases, the mothers of these little babies were poor and they did not have the wherewithal to be able to sustain these babies after they were born. So the Mialdos went and they collected all kinds of uh, sustenance, water and, and food from the wealthy households and they gave it to these poor mothers. And they were the ones then who had the ability and the capacity to allow their children to live. That's what the Kosov, the Pasuk means, they allowed these children to live. Another explanation, there were those babies, there was a possibility that there were babies who were going to be born with all kinds of disabilities, this disability or that disability. So what did the midwives do when they realized that this might be a challenge? They would pray in the presence of God. And they said, You know, God, that we did not fulfill what Paro wanted. It is your words that we want to fulfill, not the words of Paro. Ribon ha'olam, and therefore they pray, that the child should emerge whole and, and hearty and wholesome and healthy and complete. This way, we are afraid that people are going to think that uh, we actually did want to listen to what Paro uh, commanded, and we did want to fulfill his wish, and so we, we ended up maiming these children. Nobody should think that. So in order for that to be avoided, we're asking you, God, that you should help us, and you should help these children. So this is this is amazing. If you see something, you do something. If you see that there's a danger that these children may come out, these babies may be born with all kinds of challenges. So you do something about it and you try to rectify the situation. Amrablevi, Hare Amarta Es Hakala, Emores Hachamura. 
you were only talking about you know minor challenges that they may have had, but talk about the more the more important challenges. Yesh mehen, not that they perhaps were poor, and not perhaps that they were going to be uh, challenged, but actually he goes so far as to say there were those sheruyin lomus b'shas yitziasa. That they were actually in, in real danger, in danger for their lives. Not just that they were in danger that they would have this challenge or that challenge, but, the, but they were in danger of dying in childbirth, either the baby or the mother. And there was a sakana. And these women would stand up and pray. Suspend their fate now and allow them to live so that nobody should say that we, God forbid, were complicit in trying to destroy them. So the Pasuk says, So the S means and together with, is the mother, and together with the Yeladim are the babies. So here's example number one. When you see something, you do something. Uh, they didn't just not listen. They weren't passively, passive aggressive and not listen to what it was that Paro wanted, but they knocked themselves out. They extended themselves and they wanted to do something to make a difference. And I think that's really the takeaway. The takeaway from my presentation uh, this evening in memory of my father is uh, to inspire us and to invite us to not sit back. Uh, You could fill in the blank what it is that you think needs action, Uh, what it is that that upsets you, what is it that you feel needs uh, to be uh, rectified, but to do something about it and not to just uh, sit back. Second example, Uh, Miriam, the sister of Moshe, so uh, Moshe is put out uh, to uh, float on the Nile. At, after some point, his mother couldn't, his parents couldn't keep him at home. So he's discovered by the daughter of Paro. And the daughter of Paro recognizes that he's a Jewish baby. And Miriam is hovering nearby. You know, if I, I see... I see you're interested in trying to do something with this baby. I'm going to do something and I'm going to bring a uh, a nurse uh, woman from the Hebrews and the Tomerlo Basparo go, go. And then what happens? How does the Torah describe the action, action, do something on the part of Miriam? Alma. Alma. Alma translation here is young girl. Look at Rashi, Vatelecha Alma, Holcha Bizrizus, Vaalamos. She went with agility, she went with vigor. It's not just the description that she was a young girl, but she she acted as a young person acts with kayach, with with determination. Bizrizus Vaalamos, and it's quoted in a Gemara in Sota at the bottom of page two. Look at Rashi, four lines from the bottom, five, five four lines from the bottom. 
So if you see something and you do something, you don't just drag yourself, but you do something with great uh, strength. I was looking at Mufarshim and commentaries on this Gemara, and I found the Ben Yehoyada, the top of page three. I would say in the last maybe two years, I've become enamored with this uh, particular uh, commentary. For the entire years of my life, until two years ago, three years ago, I, I wasn't uh, exposed to this Sefer. I didn't learn this Sefer. But recently, I don't know what it was that brought me, but I, I find uh, his commentary to be thoughtful and introspective and, and astute. Uh, the Ben Yehoyada is uh, Rabbi Yosef Chaim Baghdad. He's known uh, probably more famously as the Ben Chai, a very, very famous Sephardi uh, commentator on the Torah and here commentator on many Mesechtes uh, on Shas who lived in, in Baghdad, very prominent Sephardi scholars, quoted all the time by Rav Ovadia Yosef. He's sort of the go-to uh, posek and authority in the Sephardi world. And in his commentary, he says something interesting, the top of page three. Shaisa Mahalechas, on this Gemara and Sota, Shaisa Mahalechas Bizrizus, she went with alacrity, she went with, with, with strength, like a... Uh, Young girl, Kasha. She went like an Alma. Well, obviously she went like an Alma because she was an Alma. The simple interpretation is that she was young. She went like a young person. Well, of course she went like a young person because she was a young person. The Gemara talks about the fact that she was not well. Normally, she would not be able to move so quickly because she acted like an elderly person that didn't have strength because she was challenged. But nevertheless, like we say in Yiddish, she grabbed a hold of herself. Ba'avor, because of her brother, nizdarza lele ka'alma ba'alas koach. So even though physically she was challenged, but she overcame her challenge, because if you see something that needs to be rectified, her brother is in danger, she wants to protect him, she does something, and she does something with koach. She overcomes her um, physical uh, disability, and she does what it is that she feels that she has to do. Third example. Now Moshe Rabbeinu is uh, older. Moshe is older and he's raised in the household of Paro and then he walks out and uh, towards the top of page three. This is the third example. Uh, the first example is the Mialdos. The second example is Miriam. When you see something, you do something. The third example is Moshe. Look at Rashi. And he saw, he saw their burden. He saw their burden. It's not just he saw. It's not just he beheld. It's not just he noticed. But he focused his eyes and his heart, and he became distressed by what it was that he saw. Look at the Ramban. The Ramban uh, right below it in the uh, next to the last wide line. 
was told that he was Jewish. He wanted to see them because he knew that they were his brothers. And he examined. It's not a passive viewing. He examined. He threw himself into it, into their pain and their struggle and their suffering. And he wasn't able to abide it. And therefore, he actually did something about it. We'll come to the Haragasa Mitzvi in, in a moment. But the Vayarbis of Losam already is if you see something, then in fact, you should do something. Look at the Medrash. Once again, we have a Medrash that develops this further. Vayarbis of Losam, my Vayar. Shahoyaroe Bis of Losam, Moshe Rabbeinu beheld their burdens. Uboche, Uboche. It mattered to him. This isn't a passive visual experience. This is emotionally invested and connected. And he started to cry, Va'omer, Chavali Alechem, woe is to me for them. Mi'itain Musi Alechem, would that I should die for them. They're working so hard to work with clay is so so strenuous. So what did he do? Emphasis do. He lent his shoulder. He took his shoulder and he got in to the work together with them. If you see something, you do something. You don't just watch, but you're watched and then you're motivated. After you watch, you're motivated to participate, to become a partner. In their work, Rabbi Lezer ben Osher Rabbi Yosei Omer, how did it express itself? He saw that the, a young person was given a huge burden, which obviously was very difficult. And an adult person was given a little burden. So you'll say, what's the problem with that? It's so much easy, easier. But the problem is that if you're given a little burden, it means you have to go back and forth a hundred times in order to fulfill your quota. So that's also a, a huge problem. Umasui ish al isha, umasui isha al ish, umasui zokein al bochor, umasui bochor al zokein. He saw how this was really difficult for them. And he didn't just see it. He went to do something about it. He left his retinue behind. After all, he's this fancy aristocrat. And and he tries to work on helping them in their burden. And it looked like he was helping Paro because he was making it easier for them to do the work that they had to do. But in, really, he was making it easier for them to try to help them. So God says, you put aside your work and you went to see and to participate in helping the Jews. And you acted to them like a brother. So I am also going to leave all of my retinue and I'm going to speak only to you. And God saw that he turned away to look. The simple shot is it happened in the context of the uh, 
of the um, the snare of the burning bush, but that's not how the Medrash interprets it. Ra Kodesh Baruch Hu B'Moshe Shesor Me'asakov Liros Bisivlosam. God saw that he removed himself from what he was doing, from his aristocratic demeanor and bearing and retinue, and he went to help them. If you see something, then you have to do something. And on the top right, the Medrash Lekach Tov establishes the parallel to the famous Mishnah in Avos, Altifrosh Minatzibur. Altifrosh Minatzibur means don't separate yourself from the community. Throw your lot, cast your lot, cast your lot into that of the community and be involved with the community and participate in the community. If you see something, don't just see something and don't just leave it at seeing. Don't just be passive, but actually go ahead and do something and do something heroic and do something significant so that your behavior will merit HaKadosh Baruch Hu saying, you moved away from your comfort zone. I'm going to do also the same thing and I'm going to put my finger on you and you're going to be the one with whom I will have a direct relationship. The last example that I want to give is the rest of that Pasuk. It's the last example from the beginning of Shmos. And it's remarkable when I got this idea uh, in my mind and I started looking that there are so many examples, Dafka, in the events leading up to and culminating in, in Pesach. Uh, obviously understand that all of this is, is just leading the way uh, to Pesach, whether it's the Mialdos and Mitzrayim uh, and uh whether it's uh, Miriam uh, trying to help uh, create the Moshe on Shel Yisrael, put Moshe in a proper uh, ability to be able to ultimately help. And she went to Bizrizus and she overcame whatever challenges she had. In the case of Moshe Rabbeinu himself, Vayar Losam is not just Vayar Losam. Uh, even Rashi, Nasan Eino Valibo, Leos Meitzer it's not just Eino Valibo, but it's, it's Rosov. He, he put his hands in and he put his shoulder in, uh, the Medrash says, and it mattered to him very, very deeply. The last one is the rest of that passage. So what do you do when you see injustice? What do you do when he sees an Egyptian hitting a Jew? He kills the Egyptian. He acts in a way that kills the Egyptian. And uh, Rashi says he looks here and he looks there and he, uh, not that the simple interpretation is he looks in different directions to see if anybody's watching, but he sees that nobody is ever going to come from him. So the on the top left of page four explains why Rashi says it. But the point is clear. And the point is, when you see something, you do something. Moshe Rabbeinu is the primary example. And he's the one who was then chosen by God to redeem B'day Yisro from Mitzrayim. And it is that that we celebrate on Pesach. I want to now move uh, 
to the next uh, part of this presentation and uh, share a word that I heard from my father, Zechron Levracha, many, many years ago, that resonates with me more and more, that is directly on point. And uh, it talks about the dangers of silence, the dangers of sitting by idly when one confronts something inappropriate and underscores the importance as of if you uh, see something, then you really need to do something. Um, and, and there's a real MS to this. And um, I, I uh, hope you will find it meaningful. So the Gemara says at the bottom of page four, also relevant to Yitzhiyas uh, Mitzrayim, Amr Abchiyabar Abba Amr it's five lines from the bottom. Here it's Yud Aleph, Ahmed Aleph, also in Masachat Sota. The Gemara here, the few blood in Masachat Sota, is a um, rabbinic interpretation of these chapters at the beginning of Sefer Shmos. So Paro now realizes that the Jews are multiplying and he's getting nervous. And so what does he do? He calls a committee meeting. And he wants to figure out what's he going to do to them. Uh, obviously, it can't be that the Jews potentially are going to, uh, they're going to overcome us. So we've got to do something. What should we do? So the Gemara here says remarkably that there were three people on this uh, committee that Paro called to determine what to do with the Jewish people. Bilam. Eov v'Yisro. Interesting set of characters. Bilam, we know all about these people from different contexts, but here, Chazal put them into the room together with Paro. Bilam, Eov v'Yisro. And each one of them had a different reaction. Says the Gemara, Bilam she'yo'atz, Neherad. Bilam said, yeah, great, good idea. Good idea, you want to destroy the Jewish people, go for it. Yoatz means he suggested it. He gave the, he, he was supportive of this plan. What happened to him? Neherag. He ended up, he was punished, he was killed. Eov Sheshosak, Nidon Biyasuri. Eov, who was quiet, what was his punishment? Punishments, pain, suffering. Yisro Sheborach, Yisro said, I'm out of here. I can't agree with this. And he ran out. He left the room. He just ran away because he couldn't abide what was going to happen. So what was his reward? He was that as Enikloch had the leadership role in Torah in the Jewish community. So my father pointed out the following, and Dafka tonight, as I have your sight for my uh, my uh, father and uh, giving a shear in his memory, I want to quote from him. So he asked the following question: What happened to Eov? Eov sheshasak nidon biyasuri. And my father said that uh, there's a medrash, and I had this medrash, but I couldn't find it when I was putting together the uh, handout for this class, so I apologize, but it's a, it's a bona fide medrash. It's a real medrash, not a made-up medrash. 
The Medrash says that Eov his whole life did not understand why he suffered so much for his silence. Eov sheshosak nidom biyasurin. And you know very well, you know your Bible, that the Yasurin, the, the punishments and the sufferings of Eov are, are the paradigmatic example of the most powerful sufferings imaginable. Nebuch, what Eov had to go through in the book of Eov, we have a book called Eov in Tanakh, and it, it, I, I don't even want to say all of the terrible things that happened to him. And he never understood, says the Medrash. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I was just quiet. I understand Bilam Sheyat's Neherak. But I was just quiet. Okay, so I should get punished because I didn't speak up. But Adkidekach, to such an extent. And the Medrash says that Eov was absolutely, totally overwhelmed with, with lack of clarity until he saw the death of Nadav and Avihu, the two sons of Aaron that we read a couple of weeks ago in the Torah. When he saw what happened to Nadav and Avihu, says the Medrash, then he understood what happened, why it was that he deserved the punishment that he got. What does this mean? Turn to page five. The Gemara says in Masachas Sanhedrin and Afnun Beis, you may remember a couple of year, of uh, weeks ago, we read in the Torah about the death of Nadav and Avihu. And the Torah actually explains why Nadav and Avihu were killed, because they brought, the Torah says, an Eish Zorah. They brought a strange fire, whatever that means. But what's striking is that Chazal, and it requires an explanation that is not 100% clear to me, Chazal give and, and, and Mephorshim, Commentaries give all kinds of explanations of why did Nadav and Avihu, why what happened to them happened to them. And many of them have nothing to do with Aish Zorah. For some reason, uh, later uh, rabbinic exegetes were not uh, tethered to this as the rationale and the explanation, even though it's albeit presented explicitly in the biblical text. And they came up with all different kinds of explanations. Says the Gemara in Sanhedrin, Nun Aleph, bottom of page five. I'm going to read it and translate. Four lines from the bottom, where the underline begins, Moshe So once Moshe and Aaron were walking, they were walking on the road. And another Venaviu, the sons of Aaron, were walking after them, behind them. All the Jews were, were, were following after them. So there's a, a parade. There's a procession. Moshe and Aaron are walking. Behind them are Nadav and Avihu, and behind them the rest of the Jewish people. Amar lo Nadav le'avihu. Says the Gemara, Nadav at that point says to Avihu, Emosai yomusu shnei zekenim halolu, va'ani va'aton ador. When are these two old guys going to die? Shnei Malolu, who are they talking about? They're talking about their father, Aaron, and their uncle, Moshe, in a quite a disrespectful manner. 
Mosaya Mushu, one of these two Altichkis going to already uh, pass away, and you and I are going to take over. Like it's, you know, it's time for us to be the leaders. As long as they're around, obviously they're the leaders, but when are they going to already move on so you and I can take over? Hashem is very upset. That's how you talk? We're going to see who buries who. We're going to see who buries who. You're going to bury them, or are they going to bury you? So the Medrash, the Gemara here says that the sin of another Venavia was they were disrespectful to their father and their uncle. It's very powerful. One of these two old guys is going to drop off, and you and I are going to be the leaders. Says the Medrash, when Eov saw this, he understood what happened to him. And my father said, what's shot in the Medrash? So he said to me, it's obvious. Amar lay says the Gemara, Nadav le'avihu. What did Avihu do? Who was killed? Nadav and Avihu. I understand why Nadav was killed, because Nadav is the one who said it. Amar lay Nadav le'avihu. Avihu didn't say a word. Why was he punished? Oh, says Eov. Now I understand. You witness something inappropriate and you don't say anything? You are culprit. Now I understand. After all, I didn't do anything. That's exactly the point. You didn't do anything. If you see something, you have to do something. Amar le Nadav la Avihu. Nadav is the one who should have been punished. Why was Avihu punished? He didn't say anything. Avihu Shasak. Sorry, Shtika is not Shtika is not an option. Now says Eov, now I understand what happened. And so we understand the necessity of doing, of doing. But I want to now go to page seven. But at the end of the day, our doing is not necessarily dispositive. At the end of the day, we're not the ones who make a change. and We're not the ones who can ensure that things are going to be different. And we're not the ones who can effect any kind of change without appreciating the power of God. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's all about God. So we do whatever it is that we could do. But even if we do something, either we won't be successful. Or if we are successful, we shouldn't think it's because we did it. That's why we were successful. Which brings me to the concept of Leil Shimurim on the night of Pesach. Leil Shimurim. So Pesach night is known as Leil Shimurim, the night of watching. Turn to page seven. This phrase actually appears twice in the context of Pesach. In Pasha's bow, Perikli. It's all soft dance to go home. So we got it. Oops. Ooh, cool. Mm-hmm. Where do you want to put this? 
Oh, I needed more. I no, need more. this is enough. Come on, look. What happened? We lost him. He's not hearing us. He's not speaking because you're speaking. Could you mute yourself, please? So the Pusik at the top of page seven, the Pusik and Parsha's bow uses this phrase twice. In uh, Perak Yud Beis, Pusik Mem Beis, Leel Shimurim Hula Hashem, Lehotziah Meeretz Mitzrayim, Hu Halaylo Hazel Hashem Shimurim L'Chobanei Yisra. So think about this at the night of the Seder. It's known as Leel Shimurim. What does it mean, Leil Shimurim? It's a night of protection. A shomer is a, is a guard, a watcher. So the Gemara says, Mpsachim Enen Rosh Hashanah. What is Leil Shimurim? Leil HaMeshumar Uba Min HaMaziken. That somehow it's a night of protection. It's a night where the uh, negative forces don't have power. It's a Leil Shimurim. And on page eight, there are a number of nafkaminas. There are a number of things that we do on the night of the Seder that reflected being a Leil Shimurit. So I'm giving you two of them here. And uh, think about it uh, when you come across this on, at the Seder night. So the first one in Simon Tufpe Bays, at the top of the page, uh, Tufpe Aleph, at the end of Tufpe Aleph, is there is a minag not to say Kriyashmal Hamita on um, Pesach night. The Noah game says the Ramah, top of page eight, in the uh, Rashi print, the Noah game, Shalom Likros Almitoso, Rak Parsha Shema, Velo Sha'ar Dvarim, Shekorin Bishar Leilos. We don't say the full Leil Shimu, the full Akriyashma Lamita, that we normally say in order to be a protection for us. Because it's a Leil Shimur. We don't need the protection of Kriyashma because God protects us. The other example, which is much more common and much more well known, is below. And here the Ramah says in the second half of the Seder, we say and had Pesach. Right? Do you all have a custom like our custom? I think everybody has a custom that we open up the door uh, at that point in the Seder ritual. We're not afraid. We can open up the door and we're not worried because it's a night of protection. And in the merit of this of faith, Yavo Moshiach. We say, which is a very harif and sharp formulation of God should take vengeance on all of our enemies. And we open up the door as an expression of faith that we believe in God's protection. And in the schus of that faith, God should indeed on all of the enemies of the Jewish people. 
So at the end of the day, we're in God's hands. But I want to point out something very, very profound. Um, And that is um, that it's not so simple. It's not so simple because at the end of the day, we still recognize that um, it's not so push it that that it's going to be a Leil Shimurim understood this way. Look at the Magen Avram. The Magen Avram says uh, at the end of Simen Tov Pei Aleph on the top right where the line is very narrow. You know what? I know it's a day of, it's a night of protection, but when, when, it's, when it's dangerous, you don't depend on the fact that it's a night of protection. You got to take care of yourself. You have to take care of yourself. Look at the Chok Yaakov at the bottom, all the way at the bottom, three lines from the bottom. And this is about opening the door. So the Chok Yaakov says in his commentary on the Shulchan Aruch, It's dangerous. You open up the door, people are going to come barging in. So what do we have here? We have on the one hand, it's a Leil Shimurim. And we believe that God is watching. On the other hand, you have to have Seichel. And at some point, if you see something, you have to do something. You can't just put yourself into God's hands. And I'll tell you something that was, was gripping, gripping for me, that really shook me. When I was a rabbi at the Jewish Center many, many years ago, many, many years ago, I see some uh, beloved friends who were with me in those mm-hmm. uh, years. I once talked about uh, Leil Shimurim. And there was a very, very, very wonderful woman uh, who was a member of our show by the name of Rochelle Tenenbaum, who came over to me after I spoke. And she said to me, Rabbi Shechter, she said it very nicely. She said to me, Rabbi Shechter, I want you to know, I don't know what you mean when you say that Pesach is Leil Shimurim that God protects. The Nazis came for my father when we were sitting at the Seder and took him away and we never saw him again. And I was devastated. I was devastated. I had nothing to say to her. Nothing to say to her. Here I am talking about Leil Shimurim and keep the door open. And uh, we don't have to say Kriya Shema Lamita because we don't need protection because God protects. Some of you may remember that, I don't know how many years ago, not very many, but already many, there was a massacre in a hotel in Netanya on the first night of Pesach. A lot of Jews were killed. So I don't know really what Leil Shimurim means. But that's when I began to look further into it, and that's when I discovered the Mogen Avram and the Chok Yaakov. Leil Shimurim may be Leil Shimurim, but when there's danger, there's danger. And Leil Shimurim is not going to protect you from the danger. If it's Shicha Hezeka, don't be a fool and open the door. If it's Shicha Hezeka, you better say Kriya Shema all of it. Because you got to take care of yourself also. And I think this is the needle that I want to thread in conclusion for tonight. And that is, of course, we're in God's hands. Of course, we're in God's hands. But we can't just be in God's hands. 
and just say, you know what, God will take care of it. But we have to do something ourselves. And when the time calls for it, we need to step up and not be somech in somechen al hanes or be somech on on a leil shimurim. I think the Magen Avram here in the Chok Yaakov uh, opened up a lot for us to think about. And that is, yes, on the one hand, it is Leil Shimurim, but when it's dangerous, it's dangerous. And we have to do something. And I think that is the legacy of, uh, of my father. On the one hand, recognizing the centrality of the Rabbonu Shalom in this world and um, acknowledging that at the end of the day, God runs the world. But at the same time, not just leaving everything to God's hands. But when America is at war in 1942, and when Jews are being mercilessly destroyed, you have to roll up your sleeve and go ahead and do something. And when Jews are in trouble, you need to help them. And when the situation is such that requires us to act, we have to act knowing full well that at the end of the day, it's God who's going to be the one who will cause us, Emir Tzashem, hopefully to be successful. So this is, this is, the, this is the, the tension. And this is the balance. And uh, sometimes it's more over here and sometimes it's more over there. And this is something that I'm thinking about uh, particularly, um, particularly this year to figure out a way how to hold in two hands the belief, obviously, obviously, the Rebbein runs the world, but also to understand that we need to step up and do things ourselves. And so I wish you the ability to think about this and the interest to think about this and to try to conclude ourselves, each one of us, where the line gets drawn and which one is more powerful when in the unfolding of the journey of our own lives. There are times when we're more there are times when we feel that while we're we have to do something ourselves. And this is what my father taught me and uh, taught so many who merited to be uh, in his uh, orbit and uh, how we remember him all of these years, uh, all of these years later. It's, I think, nine years coming up next year. I think next year is 10 years since he passed away. It's hard to believe. We think about him. Our family thinks about him all the time. And Harav Tzvi ben Rapinchas Miriam, his soul should be bound up in the bond of eternal life. Thank you so much for joining me. And I wish all of you a, a good evening and a good Nerev Yom Tev and a